as are the roots. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw Jingle Bells. Today is December the 16th. Here it is, coming on. I started wrapping up some presents. I... I got into the spirit, yes, as Samuel Beckett would say. I feel no worse at this time of the year than any other. Actually, I seem to be having a lot of fun. I went to the KPFA Holiday Crafts Fair this past weekend. I go there for my yearly esteem bath. The people who come to the fair are usually the people who like us, you know. And I got a... Tremendous number of hugs and a back rub from a wonderful woman from the Zen Hospice. She's from Denmark. My back feels much, much better. And a few flowers and little presents and a lovely book of poems, which I'm going to read to you today. I've got such a pile of books and I have to go away for two weeks. I have put up some tapes, um of wonderful, wonderful stuff that I know you'll be thrilled to hear, but I'm just overwhelmed with this pile of books. I've got Toni Morrison's new novel, Love. I think I'll take that with me and read that over my two weeks holiday. Perhaps that will keep me in a beatific, loving mood, but knowing Toni Morrison (laughs) probably will have the reverse effect. I might get real. Oh, dear, 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 that would be a problem. Anyway, I have two newspapers here in front of me. Um, I think we should all go out and buy several copies of Street Spirit and pay double, for goodness sakes. You know, the uh, uh, newspaper, they, they give 50 copies to uh, homeless street vendors, and uh, uh, that's their, uh, their income, for gosh sakes. Uh, the current December Street Spirit has got incredible stuff in it. I, um, I think people... Forget, you know, that this is uh, one of our radical alternative papers here. Uh, Norm Solomon has a piece on the workers in Brazil. Uh, the best democracy money can buy. Truth about corporate cons globalization. Uh, Greg Pals. Okay. Um, mm-hmm, good stuff here. And um, best of all, there is a tribute to George Orwell by my friend... Leonard Roy Frank. He does Poor Leonard's Almanac and he did selections from the writings of George Orwell. It's Orwell's centennial this year. On the back page of Street Spirit, uh, my kind, sweet friend, um, Mary Rudge. She is the Alameda Poet Laureate at the moment. Let me read you one of her poems. The back page is a tribute to Mary Rudge. Um, Yes, she has a poem called Where Was Your Pen in the War. I always have mixed feelings. Uh, the great Audre Lorde once wrote, Never leave your pen lying in someone else's blood. I'm never sure whether I have a right to write about the pain of others, but 
certainly we have a duty to do the, what is it, uh, do the resistance work to write in resistance to or in opposition to the war. Mary writes, where was your pen in the war, poking politicians, thrusting poems for their eyes that showed they had always been blind, shoving blade straight to heart pain, puncture blood out, blood in, probe where screams matter. In every situation requiring justice, unafraid, you would pierce, slash, slice. Ink runs out like a river, unsheathed thought. Current flow, crevices of brain, vein, to finger grasp, channel of sheer nerve, carved deep with a sharp tool. Make us think again. Act, move, someone move on. Who'd ever think? They could act that way, pristine, visible. Do it. Make possible. On the horizon where you live, I expected ink eruption covering the sky, explosion of words flurrying up and out for thousands of directions multiplied by the millions who copy, making points, hitting marks. The air page blank. I went to find where you were. Your pen, stronger than sword, sharper than dagger, sure cutting a scythe, poke fun, rape your wit, sweetheart. Where? Where, when 9-11, Babel Twin Towers, all tragic, came down, where was your pen? Where was your pen in the war, baby, poet I love? With that pen, magnified giant club, each letter, hard rock stroke. At Goliath's bone, head knocks sense into the right, the left too, cutting past dross through ignorance clear away. A desperation brings me the ability of cells to become a rose, caterpillar transformed to butterfly, society transcend to peace, surpasses other purposes, the poet's silence, absence, the real aid to evil. Mark of a traitor to life, to the world. How angry I am. Arrived at your door. To see the note. Gone fishing. I expected to carry off a box of passion. Reams of paper ammunition. We needed you, right. Writing hand. What right have you, you bastard, while the world burns. To just be down by the river. Watching the light on its beautiful forever flow. Yes, I love the ambiguity of that poem. <laughs> Sometimes a little Zen wisdom in the middle of madness. It is a good thing, you know, to watch the world. Edna Millay was a wonderful poet uh, on that uh, Subject, yes, I have her poem Renaissance in front of me. A little collection of her poems was gifted me at the Cape Yafay Crafts Fair. And I love the way that Edna Millay is always seeing something beautiful uh, in the midst of some agony, some god-awful uh, situation. Most people don't think of her as a nature poet. I do... Um, Let's see, I also wanted to read you something from the Berkeley Daily Planet, all about 
Dear um, Father Bill from St. Joseph the Worker, um, the um, mourners, let's see now. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Martin Sheen, everybody was there. Um, it's funny, um, the death of a priest at Christmas time is interesting. I tried to write something about it myself and failed miserably. Never mind. Uh, dear Father Bill is gone and left us, and uh, more than 50 years ago, George Orwell left us. Orwell was born 1903. My parents were a year old. <laughs> no, George lived to be 47, I think, died of tuberculosis. 1984, a book that changed my life. And I think George Orwell is the man who told us that totalitarianism was the future. What's his great line? Uh, the future, yes. Uh, a black boot in your face forever. That sort of thing. Um, I wonder what George Orwell would say if he were alive today. In Leonard Roy Frank's column in Street Spirit for December, he has an entire page of quotations from Orwell. Actually, Orwell had quite a sense of humor at times. Uh, this is funny, yes. Economic liberty, that's the right to exploit others for profit. <laughs> Exploitation under all the systems. What was it we used to say? Under um, capitalism, man exploits man. Under communism, it's the other way around. <laughs> that was some comic from East Berlin that we used to listen to in the 50s. Um, he says all the wise things about the rich and the poor and um, about the fact that money controls opinion that uh, we all, well, that most people, if they do not worship the god Moloch, they follow that um, god as if it were a religion, materialism, dictates our lives. Um, here he has, yes, wartime diary. If there is a wrong thing to do, it will be done infallibly. <laughs> That's what I think every morning. When I turn on my TV and see a picture of uh, the old man, Saddam with the beard, the tongue depressor, all that nonsense. Uh, there might have been a better way to um, present that old man. Um, in any case, um, here is what uh, George says in literature and totalitarianism. This is in 1941. We live in an age in which the autonomous individual is ceasing to exist. Whew. Or perhaps one ought to say in which the individual is ceasing to have the illusion of being autonomous. I wonder myself if anyone really has the illusion of freedom anymore, if they really believe, you know, that they speak for themselves and that they move freely in the world. Um, he has some good things to say, too. He says, the high sentiments always win in the end. Those leaders who offer blood, toil, tears, and sweat always get more out of their followers than those who offer safety in a good time. <laughs> when it comes to the pinch, human beings are heroic. Once again, 
I would add a caveat to that. Yes, being heroic. What was it? F. Scott Fitzgerald said, uh, "Show me a hero, and I will write you a tragedy." Appealing to our primate grandiosity is a wonderful way to get fellows to sign up and uh, go get themselves dead in a war. Uh, <laughs> he says, on the whole, human beings want to be good, but not too good, and not all the time. He writes, there is something unsatisfactory in tracing an historical change to an individual theorist, because a theory does not gain ground unless material conditions favor it. Um, yes, I was thinking, I was reading an article in the New Yorker late November. It's called The War After the War. Oh, dear, I wish I brought it in with me today. It was by a, a British correspondent. And it is full of little stories about what is happening in Iraq, you know, uh, stories of individual school teachers trying to cope with the situation. Um, I think uh, I myself am in my anecdotage now, but I find that we need to go to the individual human story that someone once said good is done in minute particulars we always say one person at a time let each one teach one uh, the notion that um, regime change can make a difference is uh, perhaps uh, an illusion although I would be perfectly happy to try it in the White House I think it would be a start uh, yes if the uh, if the ruling class does not set us a good example, what is the <laughs> use of them? <laughs> yes. Here's Mark Twain. Yes. Uh, Orwell loved Mark Twain. The existing social order is a swindle, and its cherished beliefs mostly delusions. What was it Twain said? Only the dead tell the truth, and then not for some years. And all the good stuff about history is written by the winners. Uh... Yes, language. Oh, it all depends on who is master. Words mean what the masters want them to mean. Um, let's see now. In There's a wonderful book called Down and Out in Paris and London. That would be the book that I would recommend to people who want to get to know George Orwell. It was published in the year of my birth, 1933, the year Hitler came to power, Down and Out in Paris and London. It's a book that... I've tried to give to people um, from time to time, but I don't know. These days, everybody seems to want something upbeat. They seem to want a, you know, a book about, uh, <laughs> you know, how to profit, <laughs> how to profit from the misery of the world. Yes, here, here is um, another Orwell favorite. By bringing the whole of life under the control of the state, socialism or totalitarianism necessarily gives power to an inner ring of bureaucrats who, in almost every case, will be men who want power for its own sake and will stop at nothing in order to retain it. This power for its own sake is so hard to explain to people. Um, you know, you keep asking them, to what end, you know, do you want to be the president? Do you want to be a public servant? Or, you know, do you want to be... Like uh, Nancy Reagan, she wanted to be, what is it, the head of the um, the social order, you know. Uh, it's hard to explain, you know, the noblesse oblige that was practiced by somebody like Eleanor Roosevelt. And then you get the Nancys of this world, you know, who just have the uh, 
grandiose notion. They just want to be the boss of it, the queen of it. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of stuff here that Orwell wrote about our hypocrisies. We all know about that, denouncing war while wanting to preserve the kind of society that makes war inevitable. I always say, yes, if we had to give up our nice lives, strange about America, how um, how some of us are willing to let the right hand do things that the left hand uh, wouldn't dream of doing. You know how that works. Uh, uh, Cora saying, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, at the same time, uh, our nice, quiet lives... Uh, are the result. I think 9-11 maybe changed that. I hope to God it did, but um, let's see. More Orwell, he says, if human nature never changes, well, then why is it that we not only don't practice cannibalism anymore, but don't even want to? Now, that one I find fascinating because one of my precepts in recent years is that human nature is a constant and that basically it never changes. Conditions change and human beings adapt. As some of us have noticed, cannibalism... <laughs> I mustn't laugh. Cannibalism has cropped up again. I don't know if it ever really disappeared, but obviously some people do get off on uh, cannibalism. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot more here about uh, the meaning of words, about liberty. Uh, if liberty means anything at all, he writes, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. Problem there, yes. Uh, a heretic, political heretic, moral, religious, aesthetic, is one who refuses to outrage his own conscience. That's a bit tricky. Um, here we go. This one is about one of my favorite notions, which is that fascism, or at least the fascist aesthetic, is all about form, not content. You know uh, how that goes. Um, style, not substance. If you look at uh, Triumph of the Will, Lenny Riefenstahl movie, Everything is in the the show, the uh, dramatization, you know. But if you look at the content, then, of course, you just see murder. Um, um, Orwell writes, a society becomes totalitarian when its structure becomes flagrantly artificial. That is, when its ruling class has lost its function but succeeds in clinging to power by force or fraud. This brings to mind, of course, George Bush, the current president's landing on that aircraft carrier. It's just theater. Of course, politics is always theater, but sometimes it's authentic and sometimes it's just a farce. Uh, here he goes. Political language, writes George Orwell, is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and to give the appearance of solidity to pure wind. That's our George. And finally, he writes, in our time, political speech and writing are largely the defense of the indefensible. <laughs> Let's see. Here he has some, some rules. 
I wrote these down once when I was a schoolgirl. Um, I liked them. Uh, he says that uh, sometimes our instincts fail us, and if we use the following rules, sometimes uh, uh, it helps us to understand the effects of words or phrases. He suggests, first, never use a metaphor, simile, or other figure of speech which you're used to seeing in print. <laughs> there you go. That is, you know, none of this. Just say no. We got them. Uh, no new tax. You know how that is with propaganda. They say if you use more than three syllables, people lose interest. But never use those figures of speech. Uh, rule two, never use a long word where a short one will do. Number three, if it is possible to cut a word out, always cut it out. Was it my teachers used to say, when in doubt, leave it out. Number four, never use the passive where you can use the active. Uh, five, never use a foreign phrase, a scientific word, or a jargon word if you can think of any everyday English equivalent. Number six, break any of these rules sooner than say anything outright barbarous. <laughs> okay. And he goes on to explain some of the psychological, uh, the pathology behind power worship, you know. Most of us live in a kind of, um, well, we live in fear. And... Um, uh, so we, we hear what we need to hear. Uh, hmm. This is fun. Many people genuinely do not wish to be saints. And it is probable that some who achieve or aspire to sainthood have never felt much temptation to be human beings. <laughs> yes. Uh, the party slogans, you remember in 1984, those party slogans, war is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. I always think of my favorite, my favorite wit, Oscar Wilde. He used to say, Ignorance is like a delicate, exotic fruit. Touch it and the bloom is gone. It's a terrible thing when you tell the truth and somebody hears you. Uh. <laughs> anyway, I want to end today with at least a little tiny bit of the poetry of Edna St. Vincent Millay because a gentleman gave me this um, collection. He also gave me one of his poems. It's a um, send-up of the night before Christmas and, oh dear, it has some scatological, it has some wicked, some wicked words in it so I can't read it and I'm afraid that the gentleman did not give me his name so I cannot thank him on the air for this Beautiful uh, copy of an out-of-print book, Edna St. Vincent Millay's Poems Selected for Young People. It is interesting that back in 1929, when this book was published, young people must have been very different because <laughs> these, these poems are heavy indeed, and some are quite, uh, well, let's say they're about death. Um, one of these days... I hope to have time to read you all of Renaissance. That's Edna St. Vincent Millay's poem. You know, Renaissance means a renaissance or a rebirth. Uh, and it's pages and pages long. You know, it's the one, 
It begins, all I could see from where I stood, was three long mountains and a wood. I turned and looked another way and saw three islands in a bay. So with my eyes I traced the line of the horizon, thin and fine. Anyway, it goes on and on at great length, but basically uh, what she says is that the world is no wider than the heart is wide. And uh, this wonderful poem, Renaissance, won Edna St. Vincent Millay the, the attention and the money of a good woman who paid for her to go to Vassar. You see, she was a clever girl. <laughs> I don't know why, but I started reading this book while I was watching Angels in America, the second half. Because, of course, at the end of Angels in America, you do see some resurrected souls. Uh, of course, uh, God has uh, has abandoned the earth. You know how that is. Uh, and uh, the uh, characters come to different conclusions what to do about that. Uh, there's a Stygian gloom at the same time. My favorite characters, the main characters, do find more than enough reason to go on creating, to move forward and not to be uh, stuck in a stasis. Uh, write a new book. That's the way it goes. Here is a poem by Edna Molay called God's World. Um, of course, with Edna, God is always a metaphor. <laughs> o world, I cannot hold thee close enough. Thy winds, thy wide gray skies, thy mists that roll and rise. Thy woods this autumn day that ache and sag, And all but cry with color that gaunt crag to crush, To lift the lean of that black bluff. World, world, I cannot get thee close enough. Long have I known a glory in it all, But never knew I this. Here such a passion is as stretcheth me apart, Lord, I do fear thou'st made the world too beautiful this year. My soul is all but out of me. Let fall no burning leaf, prithee. Let no bird call. And then there's low tide and 2nd April in England. This is such a wonderful book, the... Um, the sonnets are perhaps the most moving. I wish I had time to go slowly through the book and build up to the uh, heavier stuff. Uh, oh, dear. Let me read you just one of the love poems. It was one of my favorites. Uh, still is one of my favorites. It's something that... Uh, I think it was a, a poem for... Woman of a certain age, let's say, a woman of forty. <laughs> In this sonnet, Edna St. Vincent Millay writes, Pity me not, because the light of day at close of day no longer walks the sky. Pity me not, for beauties passed away from field and thicket as the year goes by. Pity me not the waning of the moon, nor that the ebbing tide goes out to sea, nor that a man's desire is hushed 
so soon, and you no longer look with love on me. This have I known always. Love is no more than the wide blossom which the wind assails, than the great tide that treads the shifting shore, strewing fresh wreckage gathered in the gales. Pity me that the heart is slow to learn what the swift mind beholds at every turn. This has been Jennifer Stone till Thursday morning at 8.20. Go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. In darkness From the ones Who Walk in light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadow Out of Sunday, December 21st, 7 p.m., The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, inspiring, insightful film on the Venezuelan people's struggle for democracy, followed by discussion with noted historian Michael Parenti. That's Sunday, December 21st, 7 p.m. at UU Hall, 1924 Cedar. Donation to benefit Venezuelan Solidarity and UU Social Justice Committees. No one turned away. Refreshments at 6. Accessible. Call 510-528-5403.